Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Aaron, our worship team, our media teams. Thank you all for being here. Are you having a good time? And isn't God good in gathering together in his church? You know, it's not uncommon that on Saturday night or Sunday morning, a thought will roll in your mind that says, do I really want to go today? But when you get here, you realize why it's worth it. Because God is so good. And God has something in store for us today. I just want to throw this out there. I know that with the way things are, it's kind of... Uh, different, not having a kid's ministry, but for those parents that uh, have their children in the room, we love the fact that the kids are here with you, worshiping together with you as a family, but if there comes a time where you need to take your child out, there is a cry room set up that does have this live feed on simultaneously, so just outside the back door, going to the teacher's lounge slash cry room, there's couches in there and, and um, places for you to attend to your children. Uh, we're not saying you need to take them out, but if, in fact, you know, they start, you know, manifesting the other spirit and you need to, uh, cr- you know, take care of that, then uh, that room is available for you. Um, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, thank you for being here. Last week, uh, we're still in the series Healing for the Nations because I believe God, his will is to bring healing into all the world. That he wants to heal and restore. If we look at his ultimate revelation of what the world would be like if everything was his will as it was in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven, we see in eternity that there is no death, no crying, no pain, no sickness, no sorrow, no suffering. Not even those irritating hangnails that get like in your finger that just like, you know, it's not a big deal, but it hurts like you got your finger cut off. You know what I'm talking about? Those little things, those irritations, the stuff that we battle with do not exist in eternity because what causes them, the curse of death does not exist. When Jesus came the first time into the world, he came to deal with the cause of the curse. He came to deal with sin. So he paid for our sins on the cross. And Jesus is coming again to take care of the result of sin, which is death. And he's going to do away with it once and for all. And that is a day of rejoicing. It's the day of salvation that the church is looking forward to. The day when the Lord returns and makes all things new. But until that point, as we are in this series, we're looking at reasons why, though we believe it's God's will to heal and why God does supernaturally heal, he gives the church the gifts of healing. There's multiple gifts of healing, but we talk about the gift of healing. People are supernaturally healed all of the time. But even though that's what he does because that's who he is, he's a healer, there are some that do not get healed. And it causes a crisis of faith if we don't understand biblically what's happening or what are the reasons why some don't get healed. So we're going through these reasons why biblically some people don't get healed when we pray. And last week we talked about the ultimate reason why there are uh, people who don't get healed and why they end up dying is because the curse of death is still alive and well in the world. Why? Because sin is alive and well. When we cease to sin, we will cease to be cursed by death. And that happens when Jesus Christ returns. 
when he comes and defeats all of his enemies so from the time we are born we are born into this world wearing diapers we also leave this world wearing diapers why because as we inch towards death the body begins to break down and that's part of the curse aging is part of the curse so when the curse is undone so will all of these things that we deal with it's just part of life but there is a day when Jesus is going to come and do away with that for believers though There is hope even in death because even though death seems to be final here on earth for a believer in Christ It's not final on the other side. There's eternal life So though we mourn the dead here. We realize that they're not dead They're merely asleep if they're in Christ because they're alive forevermore in eternity So for a believer in Christ death is actually a glorious new beginning not a tragic ending it's an amazing thing, the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. Today, as we continue into these reasons, the, the other five reasons I really see in Scripture, uh, why people don't get healed, we're going to uh, tackle the next one today. It, 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 it's amazing how God lines things up when you don't even really plan it. Today is the day of Pentecost. If you follow the Feast of Israel, God gave Israel several feasts to observe in the Old Testament. Today, Sunday, marks the Feast of Pentecost. In the Hebrew terminology, that's the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of the First Fruits. And they would celebrate that as a celebration of the first part of the harvest that would come in as God's blessings. But as believers, we also know in Acts chapter 2, something very significant happened on the day of Pentecost. The disciples were huddled in one place. They were all together with one accord praying, and the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church. The fiery flames of tongues descended, the mighty rushing wind, and the church was empowered to go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And our world has not been the same since. It's a, an amazing, life-altering, world-changing event. And so today marks the anniversary or the celebration of that Pentecost. And we read last week in, Act, or in the book of Romans that Paul tells us that the Spirit is given. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit, but we have not been given all of the promises that God has promised. That through the Holy Spirit, though we experience amazing things in the life of the Spirit, it is the first fruit of the Spirit. It is the first part of what we are going to experience in eternity. So it is a foretaste of the future glory. We do not right now in the present time experience all that God has promised. That's coming when Jesus returns. So it's important that we have that understanding, especially as we're dealing with walking in the Spirit, moving in the power of the Spirit, and questions that do arise that how come when I prayed for this person they were healed, but when I prayed for this person they didn't. So it, it's an important thing to remember. So this week... We're going to dive in. We're going to be in Acts chapter 19, mostly, but we have other scriptures we're going to look at. But our main story is in Acts chapter 19. If you have your Bible, you can turn there, or if you've got the YouVersion Bible app, you can flip there or find our notes on the events page there on the app. But in Acts chapter 19, this story happens nearly 23 years after that first day of Pentecost, after the Spirit was first poured out. And in this passage, in this story... Paul, he's on his well into his missionary journeys. He's wrecking the world with the gospel. So amazing what this one man was able to accomplish. He comes and he's in Ephesus and he comes upon these disciples that were originally John the Baptist's disciples. 
So John, before Jesus was even on the scene, he was baptizing people in the Jordan River, proclaiming that the one who would come after him, the Messiah, was on his way. And when Jesus was baptized, he pointed and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. He pointed to Jesus. And so all these disciples that were following John, especially after he was imprisoned and killed, they began to follow Jesus. And so Paul comes upon these disciples in Acts chapter 19. And, and he... Uh, witnesses to them and he ministers to them in acts 19 verses 11 through 12 uh, as we are reading about paul's ministry something just jumped out at me that i think is important for us to understand in verses 11 and 12 this is what the word of god says as god was powerfully testifying through paul it says god gave paul the power to perform unusual miracles when handkerchiefs and aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people they were healed of their diseases, and evil spirits were expelled. So God was doing some amazing things in the church, and especially through Paul, as he was going around doing his missionary work, God was performing some supernatural things. And what I love about this passage, just right off the get-go, is I really see two things in, in just these two verses. One is that not only did God empower the church to do miracles, but miracles were supposed to be normal. Miracles were supposed to be normal. How do we know this? Paul was doing unusual miracles. So if he was doing unusual miracles, that means everyone else was doing usual miracles in the body of Christ. So this is, this is a culture, a snapshot of Christian culture that we are seeing in the book of Acts of the life that the church is supposed to be living. Y'all, we're supposed to be living a supernatural life in the Holy Spirit. Not, not a life that reeks of depression and anxiety and filled with bondage. We're living a new life, set free, born again to a new reality in life in the Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus said, it's better that I go so the Spirit can come. And God wants to do supernatural things in you and through you. So miracles are supposed to be normal for the church. Secondly, there's a possibility that you can go from usual to unusual. That you can be so connected to God and have such intimacy that God works in you and in your life in a greater way, which means there's growth to be had. There, there's not a place where you will get in this life where you're like, oh, I've arrived. I, 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 man, I prayed for the sick and they were healed. That, that's good enough for me. No, there is more that God wants to do. It matters how much you yield yourself to the Lord. And Paul was a fully devoted man. If you study his life, he didn't get married. He wasn't tied down to a family. He devoted himself single-mindedly to wrecking the world with the gospel. He had a single-minded mission to make Jesus famous, to proclaim the gospel until the whole world hears. And he almost accomplished it. It was an amazing thing. And if you study his life, you see all the havoc that he went through, the shipwrecks, the beatings. He was nearly killed multiple times, left for dead, drug out of the streets, stoned. All this stuff happened, but yet God used him in powerful ways. And he was able to because Paul was willing to go through the fire so that God could use him to proclaim the message. And what stands in the way from us going from usual to unusual often is the willingness to go through the fire. Because with the greater revelation also is required greater sacrifice. 
And that's why Jesus said, if you're to be my disciple, you're to take up your cross and follow me. Because it's not just about a comfort, easy going ride to heaven. It's about a life fully devoted to the mission and the big picture of the kingdom of God. Think about this. They put his sweat rags on people and they were healed. They put his rags, like he's working, and they merely put rags that touched his skin, and devils were cast out. I mean, the guy either was extremely anointed, or he had some kind of funk going on that would make demons tremble. I mean, if you think about it, it's like just a handkerchief. Like, let me pull that out of your pocket, Paul. Sorry, my, my, my mother-in-law needs a touch from God, you know. Let me get your little sweat rag going on here, right? But this is what happened, and, and you think about it. How is that even possible? It's possible because the uh, reality of the presence of God and the holiness of God is tangible. And we don't think about this and really meditate on what the Scripture reveals to us, but the presence of God is not an idea, it's a reality. And when he, Paul says, don't be drunk with wine where it's in excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, he's inviting you into a greater life that you could possibly imagine. To walk in the anointing of God where the tangible presence of the Lord surrounds you, engulfs you, and follows you wherever you go. Where he can do miraculous things with your life. If you look back in Ezekiel, and um, Ezekiel chapter 44, as God is giving a vision of the end time, of the millennial uh, thousand-year reign of Christ and the temple that's reestablished and the priesthood that's reestablished, God tells the priests who minister in his presence not to wear their clothes out into the co around the common people because they could transmit holiness to the people and end their lives. That, that there's a tangible nature to the presence of God. Go back and read in, about Moses, and when Moses ministered before the Lord, he would come out and his face would be glowing, and he'd have to wear a veil for fear of harming the people. There is a reality of the presence of God that's available to those who choose it. And in Hebrews it says, because of what Christ has done on the cross, that veil has been torn, the path, the, what separated God and man is torn, and now we as the church can go boldly before the throne of grace and find the very help that we need in the time of trouble. What's stopping us from walking in the tangible presence of God? What's keeping us outside of the manifest presence where his holiness can anoint us and his presence can overwhelm us? So here is Paul doing extraordinary work. And in Acts 19, some Jewish people, this Jewish group, takes notice. And they decide that they're going to try to make their name as popular as Paul's. And so they, they get together. It's not in Scripture, but you can just imagine. They get together and like, how can we market ourselves to be, to be as popular as Paul and, and have an effective ministry as Paul? And they're like, okay, well, what's Paul do? Well, Paul uses the name of Jesus. Okay, well, we'll start using the name of Jesus. And so they started going around using Jesus' name to try to cast out devils. And we see here in Acts 19, and verses 13 through 17, what happens as they begin to try to gain a following, build up their ministry by using the name of Jesus. In verse 13, it says, A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, their religious spell, so to speak, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus... And I know Paul, but who are you? 
Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. The story of what happened spread quickly all throughout Ephesus to the Jews and Greeks alike, and solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Heavenly Father, God, we just come, and as we look at this passage, God, I ask you, Holy Spirit, reveal our hearts to us, God. So often we walk blind and in denial. We make all manner of excuses as to why we're not Holy Spirit, you know our thoughts. Search our hearts. Reveal any wicked way in us and lead us into the path of life everlasting. Lead us into the righteous path. God, it's time for your church to arise. And I ask you, God, to remove blinders this morning. Cast out fear in Jesus' name. The fear of embarrassment and the fear of man that has held us back for so long, that's held so many from making decisions, so many from yielding their lives as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. Forgive me of pride and arrogance in every way I've held myself back. There are no proud people in this room this morning, God, but humble people in the sight of a holy and living God. Have your way this morning in Jesus' name. If you agree, God's people said, amen. There's something significant in this passage of Scripture, and it's found in verse 15. They were doing their religious duty. They followed their religious process, these seven sons of Sceva and the leading priests. They were doing everything they were taught, probably for generations. One thing they did in addition to what they normally did was they slipped in the name of Jesus in their incantation, it says. But when they stood against the enemy, the enemy had a response. Let's put verse 15 up there, and I want you to read this with me. Acts chapter 19, verse 15. says, the one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, read this with me. I know Jesus, I know Paul, but who are you? I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? This statement reveals one of the reasons why we don't see much healing or miracles in the body of Christ in many churches. It's because the people who are praying have no authority. The people who are praying, have no authority. And this is vital for us to understand. This is so key. We sing songs. Think about this. Think about your every week church experience. We sing songs and we elevate the name of who? Jesus, right? Jesus, name above all names. There's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. Philippians 2, God has given him a name which is above every name, and by every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is no other name. Jesus ascended and rose from the dead with all authority in heaven and on earth. Amen? This is his name. We place a ton of emphasis on the name of Jesus. We believe in the name of Jesus. It comes with great authority. But if the name of Jesus is so powerful, why did it not work when these men uttered the word? 
If the name of Jesus is so powerful, why didn't the demon obey when these men used his name? Why was this spirit able to resist him? It's found in the demon's response. I know Jesus. I know Paul. But who are you? The demon was not saying, I don't know who you are. I'm pretty well aware that the demon knew exactly who they were, and probably his buddies were running the group. What he was actually implying is, I recognize Jesus and his authority. I recognize Paul and his authority, but I don't recognize any authority in you. So the first thing to note when praying for healing or doing the miraculous at all in the Spirit is no authority, number one, no authority means no power. No authority means no power. Think about this. If I go to the store, if I go to a, a really high-end costume shop, and there they have a police badge that looks identical to the badges in my city, and I purchase that, I purchase the whole outfit, and I put the badge on, and I, I even find a, a car that looks like an undercover car, and I go driving around and pull people over, I may look like an officer, but I am not empowered or have the authority to operate in that office. And if I get caught, I'm going to jail. There's no authority in the badge. If I put on a military uniform and I tell people that I've been in the military, I, I've fought in these wars, and I make up this whole story, and people believe me, I still have no authority to represent my country until I'm sworn in. Right? Just because you have the uniform doesn't make you have the authority. You're just wearing a costume. You're just putting on a face. You have to be sworn in. You have to be entrusted with the authority in order to have the power. The same is true with the name of Jesus. Is it powerful? Yes, it is. But it is only powerful on the lips of those who have the authority to use it. The second thing to note is with a, if you have power but no authority, it still makes you only spiritually impotent. I can go to the store and I can buy a gun and I can conceal it. I might have a lot of power, but if I don't have a conceal and carry license that grants me the authority to use that power, I'm not a hero, I'm a criminal. I'm breaking the law. No one's going to applaud me for breaking the law. So you might be able to find power, but without the authority to use that power, you're still not approved of the Lord. We know where Jesus got his power and his authority. It's because he's God. Amen? You believe that? You believe Jesus is God? The Son of God? The third, uh, third person of the Trinity? Second person, depending on how you're counting, where you're from? He is, has his power and authority because he is God. But where did Paul get his power and authority from? Where did Paul get not just the power, but also the authority? Well, we find this back in Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 20. We read this last week, and in this series, it's a, it's a great scripture to meditate on. But in Luke chapter 10, Jesus has 72 disciples, and he sends them out with the authority and the power to heal the sick, cast out devils, and preach the kingdom of God. And they go out, and they have a miraculous, awe-inspiring time. In verse 17, it says, When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your what? Name. So the seven sons of Sceva used his name. 
and it had no effect. But these 72 disciples used his name, and there was great effect. James 5 says the prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So verse 18, he says, yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. You can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are where? Registered in heaven. Don't rejoice because of what you can do. Rejoice because of who you are. Authority is born out of identity. The authority to use the name of Jesus is born out of identity. You are not recognized in heaven by what you can do, because apart from Christ, you can do nothing. You're not recognized in heaven by what you can do. Doing is not what creates identity. That's a very fallen human way to think. It's a carnal way to think. In this life, we're trained that we are measured by what we can do. If you're excellent as an artist and, and you become a famous artist, then you're applauded. You have worldly success. If you work a job and you're more skillful than those you work with, you're promoted. If you are able to accrue wealth, then you're uh, respected. Everything that this world sets itself up is against how we measure against other men or women. How we compare to other people. If you are more beautiful, then you have a different um, just a level of respect or authority. You, you are revealed or um, just um, honored in different ways. This world trains us to think, I have to outdo, outperform in order to receive, in order to achieve, in order to have success. But that is not the way that the kingdom of God works. Your identity does not come from what you can do. It comes from who, namely whose you are. In Acts chapter 8, Philip begins a revival in Samaria, and the other apostles join him. Many are saved, many are baptized, and when the apostles begin laying hands on people, they begin filled, being filled with the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are revealed, and there's a man who's joined the group named Elymas. And he was, before he gave his life to Christ, he was a sorcerer. He was a very powerful sorcerer, very powerful uh, through demonic influence. And as Philip was witnessing, preaching in the kingdom, and he saw the miracles and everything Philip was doing, he, he thought, man, that power is greater than the one I have, so I'm going to give up this life, and I'm going to go follow Philip. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I'm going to become part of the church because that's my pathway to get that kind of power. And when Peter and the other apostles joined him and people were being filled with the Spirit, he approaches Peter and he offers him money to receive the, the, the power to baptize people in the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit. In Acts chapter 8, verses 20 through 23, Peter replies to Elymas and he says, May your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this. Your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts, for I can see you are full of bitter jealousy and held captive by sin. Peter tells Elymas in Acts chapter 8, you can have no part in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because his entire Christian life was a fraud. He prayed the prayers. He went through the waters of baptism. But the heart motivation behind what he was doing was not because he was madly in love with Jesus. It's because he wanted a pathway to a greater end. 
He wanted a pathway to greater power. And in his world, the way to greater power is you make this sacrifice, this offering, this incantation, this result takes place. So if I have to pray a prayer, I have to get baptized, then I can get this, then that's what I'm going to do. And I don't want to speak badly about movements of the past. There have been many great men and women of the past that have paved the way for the church, but many of us have grown up in Christian and religious traditions that have led us to a faith that is built on false pretenses. When we heard messages about the judgment and fiery punishment of hell, and we were scared out of our minds that one day we might go there, and that the only alternative to escape this place of hell is placing our faith and trust in Jesus, I decided that the greatest pathway to escaping this reality was to go this route. And I entered a religion, not because of the one I loved, but because of the place I feared. And my entire Christian life was built on this reality that if I just do good things, if I go to church, if I am involved, if I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't swear, I don't watch those movies, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. I do all of these things. Then, when I get to heaven, God will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The problem is that's a religion based on what I can do and what I can accomplish in my own strength. And many believers in Christ live under guilt and condemnation every day of their lives because their faith is false. They've never had an encounter with the love of God. In John, it says, perfect love casts out all fear. If you're afraid, it's for fear of judgment, which means you've not experienced the power of God's unfailing love. You were guilted by fear into following a religious path. You have no real relationship with God, which is why it's hard to pray. It's hard to tithe. It's hard to come. You don't really want to get involved. You're one foot in and one foot out the door. It's not real. It's religious, ritualistic witchcraft. If I do this, God will do this. If I do this, God will give me this. And that's not the Christian faith. And we have so many people in pews in churches around the world who have grown up in this legalistic, demonic belief system, and they pray and they pray and they pray, but nothing happens. Why? They have no authority to use the name of Jesus. There's no authority there. Why? They have no real genuine faith. It's not their heart pounding because of the love of the Lord. It's guilt and condemnation keeping them towing the line. And they think, if I just do this, then God will do this. Why is it not working? It's because there's no authority. Just like Elymas, many believers need to repent of their bitter jealousy of other believers who are walking in the Spirit and seek deliverance from their captivity to sin and the religious bondage that perverts the gospel. It is not by works, lest anyone should boast about it. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because it's not by works, lest anyone should boast about it. Salvation is a free gift. You freely receive it when you give your heart and your life to the Lord. 
Paul says you need to believe in your heart God's raised him from the dead and confess him as your Lord and Savior. It's not a incantation. It's a response to the love and the grace of God that was demonstrated in the gospel and through the cross. If I keep these rules, God will bless me. It's a completely wrong motivation. I heard a pastor once say, if you take responsibility for the failures, you also take responsibility for the success. And that's often how we live our Christian lives. I make a mistake. Oh, I'm terrible. I do something good. Oh, God, aren't I great? And no, Jesus is great. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. That's what makes his love so amazing. You can look at your messed up life and see how God just wants you anyways. He just wants you. Why? Because you're his. You don't have to be anything, do anything to receive the love of God. You just have to receive it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to become more. You don't have to do something else to, to get there. It's already given. You just have to accept it. And it's so hard for us to get there because we're trained in this world system that says, I have to become something more before I'm acceptable. And God said, no, I accepted you. That's why I died for you. The name of Jesus is powerful on the lips of those who have the authority, and you are recognized by whose you are, not by what you can do. That's why Jesus said in Luke 10, rejoice that your name is registered in heaven. Don't rejoice in what you can do. Miracles are supposed to be normal. Don't rejoice because what you can do. Rejoice because you belong to the Lord, that you're a citizen of heaven. Authority is born out of relationship with the Father through Jesus by the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 19, 3 through 6, Paul stumbles on these believers and they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. Again, these men were following Jesus for a long time. They were 12 men in Acts 19. They've been following Jesus as disciples for a long time. But when Paul encountered them, he asked them, when did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they said, We've, we don't even know that there is a Holy Spirit. That's been much of our upbringing is we hear a lot about Jesus, a lot about hell, a lot about heaven, but not a lot about the Holy Spirit. And many believers go through life living powerless because they've yet to have this encounter of anointing with the Holy Spirit. So Paul tells them, look, y'all need the Holy Spirit. And he says that he rebaptized them in the name of Jesus because they'd only been baptized by John. He laid his hands on them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, and a spirit came upon them. They spoke with tongues, and they prophesied. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it radically transforms your life. You have a power encounter with God. It's not to make you more powerful as a person. It's to make you mighty in the kingdom, to make you a mighty witness. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you'll be my witnesses. Power leads to testimony testimony of what Jesus has done and what he can do in your life. Power doesn't make much of the person. It makes much of the king of kings. But it takes both power and authority to walk in the spirit, to be a true believer in Christ. These believers, they stopped being religious, which is what they had been up until this point. They'd followed the system John laid out for them. They turned and followed Jesus for Nearly 20 years they were following Jesus, but yet they still had not received the Holy Spirit. 
And many Christians today are in the same place. They followed Jesus for many years, but they've yet to receive the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they don't even know it's available. They don't even know that God's waiting to pour it down. Jesus said, if man knows how to give good gifts to their children, how much more does the Father know how to give good gifts to his children? Even more, the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. He's ready, eagerly waiting to give the Holy Spirit. And you can't give offerings, you can't give tithes, you can't give church attendance, you can't give volunteer time, you can't give all of these things, Bible study time, devotional time, in hopes to please the gods to receive what you're asking for. No one is good enough or worthy enough to acquire the gifts of the Spirit, to receive the anointing of God. It comes as a gift. The power of healing comes not because of what you can do, but because of who you are if you are in Christ Jesus. These new disciples, they received the anointing of the Spirit, but their level of anointing was not Paul's level anointing. Their power encounter was usual, but Paul's encounter was unusual because Paul was living a fully surrendered and fully devoted life. The way to go from usual to unusual. If there's something in your heart that says, God, I want more of you. I want more of you. I'm not satisfied with what I have. I know that there's never going to be a time in all of eternity where there comes to an end of me discovering who you are. So in the present moment, I want to know you more. I want to encounter you more. I want to hear your voice more clearly. I want to see your face in creation. I want to encounter you when I read scripture. I want to, I want to experience your presence when I pray. There's something in you that's just aching, like David, when he says, this world is a desert land where there is no water, and I long to see your power and glory as I've seen it in the sanctuary. This is welling up within you. The way to go from usual to unusual is greater intimacy with God through the Holy Spirit. Paul had such intimacy. It says he had such revelations from the Lord that God had to allow something into his life to keep him humble. Because his intimacy had opened the door to such revelation that he needed to be humbled to keep from becoming arrogant and proud. God, may I be found worthy. Paul was fully devoted, single and single-minded. You see, miracles are supposed to be normal. Healing, that's supposed to be normal. Prophecy, supposed to be normal. Speaking in tongues, supposed to be normal. Interpretation, supposed to be normal. All of these things, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, all that is supposed to be normal. But the problem that's been in the church and why people have such a hard time with it is that when miracles are not normal, People, may, people make much of the man doing the miracle. When miracles are not normal, everyone says, oh, I want to be like so-and-so. I want to be like so-and-so. Rather, when miracles are normal, we all say, I want to be like Jesus. Miracles don't confirm the man or the ministry like the seven sons of Sceva were trying to make happen. Miracles confirm the message that Jesus is Lord. He is alive forevermore. Sin and death is undone, and you can receive eternal life by placing your faith and trust in him. Miracles confirm the message. So these seven sons of Sceva run battered and naked. That cracks me up. I can't wait till the chosen gets to that in the season and we can see that. That's going to be one of my favorite episodes if they ever get that far. Um, the chosen is a modern retelling of the gospel and they're hoping to in eight seasons go through the entire thing. So at some point that, that should get there. Uh, maybe. 
But uh, in Acts 19, 17, after they leave battered and torn, the name of Jesus didn't work for them. Their ministry was shut down by the enemy. If you notice, they said, the demon said, I know who Jesus is, I know who Paul is, but who are you? After all this happened, it says in verse 17, the story of what happened spread quickly all throughout Ephesus to the Jews and Greeks alike. So word got around town, right? It went around quickly. It says, a solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of who was greatly honored? The name of Jesus. It wasn't Paul's name. It wasn't Paul who they were trying to mimic. Sons of Sceva said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. But it wasn't about Paul. It's always about the Lord. And when God works, when God moves, Jesus' name is always honored and always glorified. It's not about the man. And we have to stop striving to be like men and women of faith that we honor and respect. We need to solely minded, be focused on being like Jesus. They thought Jesus' name would affirm their ministry, but it had the opposite effect. They had the right name. They just had the wrong message. They had the right name. They just had the wrong message, and they had the wrong message because they didn't have their identity rooted in the one who the message is about, and that's Jesus. Authority comes from your identity. Rather than in victory, they left an embarrassing defeat. And this, I feel, happens in many people's lives, especially in the church. Some who've attended church services their entire lives. They're using the name of Jesus week in and week out. Jesus, the name above all names. There is power in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. But yet there's no authority in their prayer. There's no authority or power in their worship because they lack the identity that's truly rooted in a relationship with God. The command, thou shalt not use the Lord's name in vain, takes on a whole new meaning. What do you put it in the context of praying and interceding where there is no authority or power to do so? Using God's name when it's not going to have an effect. The name of Jesus falls flat when it's uttered by those without faith or bear his name. And it may be, just maybe the reason why many healings and miracles do not happen, why you don't hear answered prayer, why those that you know have interceded and interceded and they're on the verge of walking away from their faith, it might be just be because there's never been a time when you fully surrendered your life to the Lord and say, God, for all my junk, here you go. It's yours. I give you my life. I give you my heart. You're pursuing God, you're praying, even maybe praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You want more of God, but it just hasn't come yet. Maybe you're like Elymas, or even like myself. There, were, there was a time I was seeking after God, I was praying and praying. My wife and I even went forward in a service, and she got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I didn't. And so I started thinking, what's wrong with me? You know, I was, I was the one like, let's do this thing. You know, but she's over being filled with God, prophesying and speaking in tongues, and I'm over here like, okay, God, my turn, you know. But there was something in my heart that was in the way. Just like Elymas. There was an issue. There was a sin. There was a fear. There was a false belief. There was stuff that I had not dealt with where I had said, God, you can have all of this, but I'm keeping this protected because I'm afraid of what might happen if it comes out. I'm afraid 
of not being accepted for being broken. So I'm going to keep this, but I'll give you the rest. And God said, that's not good enough. I don't want part of you. I want the whole thing. Junk and all, pimples and zits, all of it. Because what I can do with your mess is far greater than what you can do with any miracle. What I can do with your mess is exceedingly and abundantly beyond what you can ask or think by the power that's at work within you. I can do all things. With man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. And beloved, I'm here to tell you, God wants all of you. And when you get to that place where you say, I'm not holding anything back, fear and all, fear and trembling. I don't care what people think anymore. I don't care what I've done. I don't care what my reputation is. I don't care who's saying, what about me, God? If, as long as I'm right with you and I'm fully yours, I'm okay. I'm telling you what, you're going to have an encounter with God that's unlike anything you've ever seen. But while you hold yourself back, God is holding himself. Scripture says, draw close to him, and he will draw close to you. The reason why miracles don't happen many times is because there is no authority. And there's no authority because we lack a true and genuine relationship with God. Religion and the spirit of religion has done a number on the body of Christ, convincing many they belong when really they don't. And God's offering us all this opportunity to arise and come forth. Dry bones come alive. Beloved, find your purpose. Find the greater meaning for your life. Discover why I called you. It's not to waste it in the cares of the world. It's to come alive in the kingdom of God. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes for just a moment as we go into a time of prayer. As the music comes forward, music begins to play. I'm going to make a bold move. I'm going to challenge you right now to ask a bold prayer. God, Holy Spirit, am I saved? Do I really belong to you? Or have I been caught up in a system that's helped me look really good on the outside? All the while, I've really kept what's inside far from you. I say, God, I want to know the truth. And if he speaks to your heart, know. And right where you are, I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to come down. And we're going to pray together that you have an encounter with God that changes your life. That you today come into the family of faith by receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the first time genuinely in your life. Wherever you are, don't wait. You can come right now. If you know that you know that you need a relationship with Jesus, And you come. Don't care what anybody thinks. Don't let fear stop you. Don't let anything distract you. Don't let those voices in your head begin to give you all the excuses as, well, you were at that church camp that one time and you prayed that prayer. You even cried. Don't listen to the enemy. Listen to the Spirit of God. Stand your feet and come. And receive Jesus. 
If you're here and fear has stopped you from the more of God that you've been pursuing and you've never experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you want to receive what God has for you in the name of Jesus, stand up to your feet and come forward and seek the Lord. No more playing. No more pretending. Give him your whole self. Lay it down. Let's confess what needs to be confessed so you can find the grace that you need, the unconditional love of God. And I promise you, when he encounters you, it's going to change and radically transform your life. If you've been struggling with dark and depressing thoughts, if you have depression, if you have thoughts of suicide, if there are things going on, spiritual things in your life that you were praying and hoping no one would find out about, beloved, you don't have to stay with that. God has pronounced your freedom. Every stronghold is torn down by the blood of Jesus and the power of his name. If that's you, you stand to your feet and you come. We'll have our prayer team down here to pray with you. Now is the time to respond. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. In Jesus' name. us at Vertical Life Church. We want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you and God bless.